My name is Jason. Uh, I am the community life pastor. Uh, I spend most of my time down at uh, the Chilliwack campus down the hill. And um, as someone kindly said this morning, did you get demoted today? Did you get to come up here? That was one of you. That wasn't from me. You can, that's why I'm keeping it anonymous. Right? No, it's a, it's a privilege to be up here to finish our series in Philippians before we start uh, kickoff. It's hard to believe that it's actually September already, September 1st today, which is pretty crazy in my mind. Like, I'm, not, I'm not ready for summer to be over, but um, maybe you are. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at uh, verse 10 through the end of the chapter. Um, before, though, we get there, I just want to r- remind you a little bit, when, when we first started this series so long ago, kind of halfway through June, kind of looking into the summer at this, at this book on, like, joy, on kind of an uncommon, strange joy in the midst of circumstances that we typically shouldn't have joy in, one of the first things that that Paul does in chapter 1 um, is he, he kind of rejoices to the Lord in the partnership that he has with the Philippian church. Um, in, in, in verse 3 in, uh, to 5 in Philippians chapter 1, he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And, and I read that and I think, I, I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not there. I, I, don't, I, I don't like partnership, right? Like, I, I think about school, you know, high school kind of space, and here's this C-plus kind of student, and whenever the teacher would say, guess what, here's a group project, you're going to partner up with somebody, oh, I died inside, right? I, I don't know who's with me in that space, because like one of two things happens, right? Either... I'm going to get the A student, and I'm going to have to do way more work than I want, right? Like, look, what I want to do is I want to go home, I want to play hockey until the sun goes down, I'm going to quickly do the task that I need to do, and I'm going to be done with it. If I get a C plus, I'm happy. But now there's this A student saying, hey, hey, listen, we got to get together right after school and go to the library and do this thing, and I'm, I'm annoyed, right? Like, no, 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 listen, don't tell me how to be better. I just, I just want to pass. That's all I care about. Or, or you get the like D student who like now you've got to be the muscle for this whole prog- project. You're like, well, I don't want to fail. Like, that's not what I'm looking for. So now I got to do all this extra work and what, what happens is partnership kind of exposes these areas in our lives where we're really kind of weak, right? Like this relationship does this. And then I was, and then I was foolish and I got married, right? Again, C plus student. At least I married an A, right? <laughs> like she's dragging me up, I, I promise. There's lots of stories with her saying, hey, um you know you could be better. <laughs> I know. Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> but, but Paul kind of rejoices in this partnership that he has with the Philippians, and then, and then he circles around back to it in our last chapter here at the end as he comes to a conclusion, and in it we really see kind of what, what it is that this partnership shows, how, how it is that Paul, as he leads this church, what he's pointing them towards, and then what this church and understanding what Paul is talking about um, kind of does in response. And in this relationship, we kind of see what the gospel demands of us, what it spurs in us, and we can see in this relationship what it is, how transforming the gospel is. Just, just previous, though, to our, our text here in 4, 10 through 23, in verse 9, Paul kind of 
sums up everything, and he says, uh, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, so if, if you've seen me teach it, if you've watched me live it, if you've heard it come from my mouth, if you read it in one of my, in one of my letters, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. See, Paul sees this relationship, this partnership as really intentional, and this isn't the only place that he does it. In, in Philippians 3.17, he says the same t- thing, I- imitate me. This is an intentional partnership that I'm going to show you, teach you, e- expose you to what it means to live a true life, and then you should imitate me. This is the same thing that he says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so, and so Paul is intentionally looking at this partnership, this relationship, as a means to spur one another on to a, to a bigger goal. So let's read Philippians chapter 4, 10 and onwards. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Such is the word of the Lord. I think that when we read through this passage, we kind of see at least three themes that we can look at. First, that there's a Christ-centered contentment found in Paul. Second, that there is a radical partnership that comes in understanding the gospel. And third, that there is a God-glorifying goal in mind as we partner together in the gospel. So let's, let's look first then at Christ-centered contentment. Again, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And now, the money verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Right? I mean, we've seen this, haven't we? This, this, this applied kind of poorly. If, if you grew up in the 80s, you would have seen Evander Holyfield with his boxing uniform on, his shorts with the embroidered Philippians 4.13 on the waistband and his robe with it on the, the collar here, right? Going into a fight against Mike Tyson, this like... This underdog is now just claiming victory over this mean man by Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will knock out my opponent through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Or Tim Tebow with his marks under his eyes. You just have four, dot, dot, one, three. I can 
huck a touchdown or avoid that defensive tackle just because Christ is strengthening me. Or, or if, if you really need to, to shoot a good three-pointer, just follow in Steph Curry's footsteps. Put it on your shoe and you're guaranteed to hit the shot in the big game, right? Or, or, or as the Babylon Bee puts it, worship leader invokes Philippians 4.13 to fit into skinny jeans. <laughs> so sorry, Thomas. I can't speak to the individual faith of each one of these examples. I don't know if they're putting the, the verse on them because it reminds them of its true meaning, but there is an implied and sometimes taken away message that says, I can set a goal that I want and God will give me the strength to accomplish it. If I want to be an all-star NBA player, all I need to do is set that goal. God will inhabit me, empower me, and make that happen because that is what I want. But that's, that's not particularly what Paul is getting at. C certainly, if God would have you be a witness for Christ by being a superstar athlete, he will empower you to accomplish that. But notice whose goal that is. It's Christ's goal, not Steph Curry's or Tim Tebow's or mine. It's Christ's. See, but Paul talks about a secret in being content. See, when, when, when Paul talks about this verse, we, we sometimes forget the context in which he is speaking about being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens him. We forget the, the verses previous. We forget his circumstance. See, Paul currently is sitting in a Roman prison in Rome. Not, not the, the dungeon or the, the pit that we might think of. In, in some circumstances, he was there. At this point, he's in, he's in house arrest, which means that 24-7 he is chained to a Roman guard in a home that he cannot leave, and yet he still has to provide for his food, his clothing. He has to clean up after himself in all of the daily bodily functions that you have to do? How, how is this going to happen? He's continuously shackled. And in that, as he's reflecting on his life, as he's reflecting on his journey to this point, the countless imprisonments, the stonings, the floggings, the beatings, the, the cities that he's been chased out of, the, the shipwrecks that have happened, the rejection from people, being bitten by a snake, and now finding himself standing before or waiting for judgment on whether he will die or not. He says, no, 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 I, I can... I can be content in all of this because of him who strengthens me. See, we, we forget, so it says, I know how to be brought low and how to be in need or be hungry and still be content and still know that my strength in facing those circumstances are in Christ. That even when I miss the three-point shot and I fail at becoming and meeting the goal that I thought I was set out to do, even in that I can be content because of Christ. Now, th this can lead us to think, oh, no, 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 but, but, but wait a second. Does that mean that I have to be content in my circumstance and just kind of throw up my arms in the difficulties of life and be complacent about not changing the circumstance that I'm in? If I find myself struggling against the disease, should I just let it be? 
If my relationships are falling apart and I, I'm torn apart by what's happening there, should I, just, should I just let that happen? Should I just stand passively by as a, a spectator because, well, I just have to learn what it is to be content in need? My financial situation is dire and I can't afford the, the things that I need, food and clothing and housing for my family. Should I just then say, well, I guess that's my lot in life? Well, well no. See, at, at another point when Paul talks about the difficulties in his life in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, when he's, talk, he's kind of reflecting on this vision that he had from God and then, and then uh, in the following verses he says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. Do you see the middle part there? Paul has this thorn that sits in his side and it bothers him and he just doesn't go, oh well, I guess it's my, I guess it's my lot in life. No, 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 he actively pleads towards God saying, God, this is terrible. This, this, this thorn, what, whatever it is, we're not quite certain whether it was a physical malady or, or, or what that looked like, but, but God, would you please take this away? He actively seeks God to take it away but understands that if God would see fit, that he should struggle with it, that in that he would be made strong. See, the call of contentment is not to recognize that your circumstance isn't difficult and seek the Lord to change it, but to find our strength in the right places. To not see the the financial change as the Savior, but to see Christ as that. Not see the, the healing of our bodies as the end goal, but to see Christ as the end goal. Should our bodies be healed? Fantastic. Should our relationships be mended? Praise God. But we can be content with our source in Christ. However, the the, the challenge is, is that most of us don't find ourselves in the circumstances that Paul finds himself in. In prison, being beaten for our faith, being stoned, being shipwrecked. No, 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 we, we actually meet the other side of that equation. Because Paul doesn't just say, look, when things are difficult, I need to learn to be content. Surprisingly, he says, when I'm in abundance, I have also learned to be content. When he has plenty, he needs to learn to be in or to be content. This actually strikes home quite, quite near and dear to me. This, a couple weeks ago, I was on some vacation, and we went uh, just outside of Osoyoos to this place called Rock Creek, the Kettle River Valley. It's a fantastic, it's a beautiful spot. And the, the Kettle River kind of snakes its way through the valley, and uh, the campground that we stayed at sat right in the middle of this giant horseshoe that the, that the river goes through. And so what you can do is you, you bring your, your floaties, and you go to one side of the campground, and you get into the water with your family, tie my young kids on so that they don't go anywhere, and you float down this river. 
You look around at the canyon and, and the trees and the birds, or, or you can look into the water and you can see the different fish swimming around as it gets deeper and shallower. And, and this takes about an hour, hour and 15 minutes to kind of go around. And then, and then when you get to the end, you walk out and you're right by your campsite again and it takes you five minutes, you walk back. It's, it's fantastic, right? You spend a week doing this. This is the only thing you do all day, right? You get up, you eat, you float on the river, and that's, that's it, right? I'm like, I'm living my best life now, right? Until my, my tube gets caught on a rock. You know those shallow parts? Who put this rock here? Are you kidding me? And then, and then what happens is, is that the, the river's pushing my kid down a little bit, and I'm stuck here, and I didn't tie the rope properly, and so my kid starts floating away, and here's my seven-year-old panicking because dad's disappearing, right? Like, okay, it's, it's fine. It's not a big deal, right? And now I'm grouchy, right? Like, this is the stupidest place on the planet. Like, why, why, why is this suffering coming on, on me that in this moment I couldn't have just been three feet over and missed that rock, and now i got to get off, and my flip-flop falls off, and now it's floating down the river? Life sucks right now. And then, and then, and then I get out, and I walk towards my campsite, and I pass campsite after campsite with tent trailers these giant, massive motorhomes, and these beautiful trucks. And I walk towards my minivan, and I think, man, my life sucks. Oh, man, it is so easy to be discontent in abundance. Isn't it? That in health, we cannot find contentment or in our plenty, we find something to complain about. See, Paul's, Paul's commandment is not simply be content when you are in need. But where is your source when you have plenty? Is your strength in the holiday or the vehicle you drive or your RRSPs or the home that you have or the health that you possess or the exercise that you can do or the job that you have? Is, is that where your source, your strength, your security comes from? Paul says, no, no, no. In both abundance and in need, I have learned the secret to contentment. It comes in Christ. Now, if, if you're like me, that, that actually is convicting because I, I struggle there. But, but I, I find comfort in the fact that it says that Paul learned what it meant to be content. Catch that? Twice. He says... In, in verse 11, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then in verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, at times we think that Paul kind of just popped into this perfect kind of Christian life, right? Like he had his Damascus moment, he's going to persecute the Christians, and on the road, Jesus appears to him, and he understands the gospel, and boom, everything just kind of came into focus, and, and, and that, that was it. He, he just had it figured out, and so we think this is, this is the template for what it looks like to be in the Christian life, and so when we come to understand what Jesus has done in our lives, we see his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, and we say, man, I need that. I see myself as sinful and broken and rebellious against God, and I see all that I need in Christ, that now all of a sudden, once we cast ourselves on him, that man, contentment's just gonna come. Like it's just, it should happen, right? It should just be here. But isn't it comforting to know that the Apostle Paul learned what it meant to be content? 
But as he faced the difficulties ahead, he reminded himself over and over and over again what it is that he had in Christ. Taught his soul and his mind and his heart how to lean on Christ for strength in plenty and in need. When his belly was full and when it was hungry. But that, but that means that, that our jobs as Christ followers is to remind ourselves of what it is that we have in Jesus. What we have in the strength of Christ. See, the, the boat that we long for what is it but a desire for freedom and rest? Which is ultimately found in Christ. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. That promotion we want at its root is simply security and respect. Ultimately, those are found in Christ. You need friendship. What a friend we have in Jesus, one who never abandons or forsakes us. Matthew 28, verse 20. Do you need family? We have an older brother who leads the way, Hebrews 2, 11, and unites us to a father who ever loves us, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Are you seeking justice? He is a judge who forever upholds righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Do you need comfort? We have a priest who forever intercedes, Hebrews 7.25. Do you need wisdom? We have a prophet who always proclaims, a counselor who is ever ready with comfort, a provider who ever supplies, a savior who pays the price for our sins, a defender who will guard and keep us. If we desire love, it is found in his spread arms on the cross. If we want hope, it is found in his resurrection. If we seek peace, it is found in the blood shed for us. If we seek joy, it is given in his spirit. Happiness, it is found in knowing what awaits us. Power, you will rule with him forever. Are you hungry? He is the bread of life. Are you thirsty? He is the living water. Are you naked? He comes covers you with his righteousness. Do you need health? He is the great physician. Knowledge, he holds it in his hands. Compassion, it flows from him. Riches, we are made co-heirs with him. Rest, he says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. See, when the author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5, is reflecting on this, he says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see, in Christ we have God himself that dwells in us and has promised us all of this. We need to remind ourselves that in Jesus we have everything that we need. Our, our past is redeemed, our present is empowered, our future is secure. There is nothing that we need outside of Christ. And so we can be content. Whether in need, or in abundance. See, what Paul exemplifies is Christ-centered contentment. But you see, that reality of having everything we need in Jesus really transforms our partnership in the gospel. Philippians 4, 14 through 16. Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. He's saying, I, I didn't need anything. I was content in whichever circumstance that I was in. Yeah, I was chained to a guard, but that was fine. 
but it was kind of you to share in my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. See, when the Philippian church in, in Acts 16, as Paul comes into the city and he starts to evangelize, he goes down to the river and he finds some women there. One of them is Lydia and this church kind of starts and then, and then because of an uprising, he ends up in prison and, and through the circumstances that happened there, the, the Philippian uh, jailer becomes, becomes a, a believer in Christ and this, and this church starts and, and they recognize who it is that Jesus is and what they have in in Christ, and immediately they're like, okay, how, how do we partner with you? See, sometimes in, 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 in our minds, it's really hard to kind of keep track of timelines, but Acts 16, Paul is in, in Philippi, and then his next town is Thessalonica. So immediately, like when he moves on from the Philippian church, in Acts 17, he goes to Thessalonica, and immediately they're sending envoys to him, being like, okay, we need to, we need to support this guy. We're going to give him food. We're going to give him clothing. This is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to support him in whatever way that we can. There's a, there's a transforming kind of understanding of what it is that, that my material possessions are, are, are going to be used for. And so I'm going to look for opportunities to, to, to support him. In, in verse 9, it kind of says, hey, I'm, I'm grateful that you've revived your concern for me. And when, you, when you read into that, you can think, oh, they kind of forgot about Paul. But the, the reality is, is that they didn't have text message. So um, it, it was easy to lose Paul. I mean, you know, he's, he's moving from city to city and he gets stoned in one and flees to the next and you can't really go to this city and say, hey, we're looking for Paul. We'd really like to support him. So you got to try and figure out where did he go? How did he get there? And we got to work this out. And so it, it took a while for them to find him again by the time he was in Rome. See, it, it wasn't for a lack of desire. It was for a, a lack of opportunity. Their hearts were just, were just so enthralled with the gospel and, and getting on board, seeing it move, that, they, that they, they were just looking for Paul. Where is he? How, how can we do this? How can we partner with him and help him grow and, and expand the church and teach people what it means to follow Jesus? Now, some of us might be thinking, wait a second. You, you mentioned Lydia. And if I remember, she was, a, she was a seller of purple cloth, which means that she probably was wealthy. And, and Philippi was kind of this retired Roman soldier city, and so like, it, it was a city of means. So of course, like, that's the way that they could provide. But I, I think the picture is a little bit different. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, when, when Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to give towards the Jerusalem church who's really struggling right now. He uses the Macedonian churches, which Philippi was a part of, as an example of faithful giving, and this is what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. That it was not in plenty and financial success that they are urgently pleading to be a part of what's happening with the gospel. It was in poverty. In severe trial, the Philippian church was actively, sacrificially, relentlessly looking for ways to partner in the advance of the gospel. It was not a passive giving. How often is our giving passive? 
How often are we reminding our hearts of what it is that Christ has done in us and seeking to open ourselves and all that we have been given so that the gospel can move forward? Do we actively seek ways in which to partner in the gospel so that the church can expand, the kingdom of God can come, and people can know who Jesus is, this Jesus who gives us everything? Or do we spend most of our time thinking, well, what's the bare minimum I can get away with? What will just eke me past the line? See, I think when we understand the gospel, a radical partnership, a transformation of all that we have and are takes place, and we go, where? Where can I serve? What can I do? Where can I give? What? What? So God, you've given me all of this, my, my talents, my health, my, my abilities, my, my, my finances, my vehicle, my relationships. Now, how, how do I leverage all of that for the gospel? How do I do that? What's really interesting is Paul, Paul in the next section kind of qualifies or wants to make sure that his, his, his teaching or his, his direction isn't misunderstood. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. Look, I, I'm not looking to convict you, Philippian church, so that you send another gift. That's not what I'm doing. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Not to Paul. To God. See, Paul, Paul understands that, that the, the, the partnership that the Philippian church has with him is not for his benefit, but it's for theirs. Oh, yes, he gets food and clothing and continue doing the work that he is called to do, absolutely. But Paul sees that this, this goes beyond that. And that in that, when the Philippian church partners with him and sees the gospel go forward, that it's credited to them as righteousness. That God sees that and blesses them for it. I, th- I think that sometimes we for- forget that in the act of giving. That in so doing, when we radically call people to, to partner in the gospel, it is not for my good or the church's good or for, or for a, a particular person's good out there, although that is a benefit. But it's for your good. See, when, when Jesus was, was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he said this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So Jesus recognizes, look, you have stuff. Where you invest it says something about your heart. And if you invest it on, in the kingdom of God, if you invest it in, in the advancement of the gospel, if you invest it in that way, then you're storing up treasures for yourself that will never be destroyed. Paul sees that and goes, look, when, when, when I see a church, when I see a people partnering with me for the gospel, man, that, that just tells me that the spirit of God is at work in their lives. And I know that that is, that is for their credit and their glory and their forever benefit from that. Because it's treasures in heaven that they're storing up. 
Paul isn't concerned about his well-being. He's concerned about theirs. Paul sees this radical partnership as not merely a horizontal one, but a vertical one. Yes, he benefits, but so do they in eternal joy. But you see, Paul understands that what God calls his people to, he will provide for. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is almost a reiteration of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can engage in partnership like this in this radical way because what God calls us to, he will provide for. God always provides. Look, um, I, I had a very comfortable job and, 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 a, and, and a path to financial success that would guarantee a future here. Oh, but I, but I had a nagging in my heart. Jason, you, you, have, you, have, you have a call on your life to something else. Man, I, and I was so weak, so scared of the, the difficulties that it would bring to my wife, to my, to my children, what it looked like to uproot them from the friends and family and school that they had, from the financial security that they had. But it's really lucky that I married up. Because in, in that fear... My lovely wife, Ashley, just said, no, you, you need to do that. So, so, so it, was, it was a step out in faith. And, and, I, and I landed here in Chilliwack, which meant moving my kids from school to school and understanding the, the circumstances that, that my daughter would be in and my, my son would be in and seeing them have to lose those friends and lose the relationships they had at their church and then try and build new ones out here with their disposition. And, 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 and to, to watch God provide for my family. Not, not because I was super faithful. But because he, he promises that he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. That we can lay everything at his feet and he will provide more than we can possibly imagine. And that in him we have all things. So I watched in wonder as my kids made friendship after friendship and were like, didn't have any anxiety and my wife got connected to wonderful women here at this church and was supported so well and to see this happen and to watch God just bring people into our lives so that we could be supported as we stepped out in this way and that has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Um, I, had, I used to be at Northview, and one of the pastors there, Ezra, used to go to Romania on a regular basis, and, and the connection there was this man named Joseph and his family who were missions, like they were doing some missions in the area there, and... Um, he, he made $250 a month. That's $250 a month. You can do that math. Um, now, just for clarity, that like a, 
a gallon of milk costs the same here as it does there. Groceries are the same. Bills are the same. Him and his two young daughters and his wife lived on the fourth floor of a four-floor apartment, which usually would be good, except for the fact that the roof leaked. So when you walked into their apartment, they had buckets all over the place. There was mold on the ceilings and on the walls. Their toilet didn't work properly, and so you could smell sewage in their entire apartment. While they ate dinner, they could smell the sewage from the entire complex. So the missions team decided, we're going to pool some money together to help him. Joseph needs this money. So, so they pool together. T- typically, like these short-term mission trips, it's like a week and a bit, and then, or two weeks, and then you spend three days in this nice location or whatever the case is, right? So they decided, we're going to forego that nice location. We're going to take the money that we were going to spend there. We're going to give it to Joseph. Thousands of dollars. Like a, almost a year's worth of money for Joseph. And so they, they, they presented it to him, and like Joseph tearfully kind of took it. What, like, wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And they thought they had done such, just such a wonderful thing. And the, and the next day they came back, and one, one of the neighbors in the building came and just said, oh, thank you for the gift that you gave Joseph. And they're like, wait a second, what? We gave that to Joseph. So they go up to him, Joseph, like that, that money was for you. He's like, well, I, 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 I couldn't keep it. Like if God provided so richly for me that I could get my kids new shoes and my wife a, a new jacket that she needed and, that, and that's it. Like wh- why would I keep anything else? I'm here to spread the gospel. So, so my neighbor needs shoes and, and my neighbor needs other stuff, and and they need food, so so why would I keep that to myself? You see, I know that in Christ, I have everything that I need, so it doesn't matter that my walls are moldy. What matters is, is that I give like I have been given to. Yeah. The gospel brings out radical partnership. But finally, and briefly, we could read the entire book of Philippians and miss the point. Philippians 4.20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul's primary concern is not moral reformation in the church. Paul's primary concern is the glory of God. It's not that he doesn't want the church to change and to more reflect Christ and his glory, but Paul's concern is that God be glorified in all of that. See, it would be possible to go through each one of the things that Paul kind of talks to the church about. You know, preaching the gospel. Well, we we have an example in Philippians 1 verse 15 where, where people were preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry, not out of holiness. See, it would be possible to like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or at least try to, to stand firm in the gospel against opposition for the hopes that those Christian brothers and sisters around us would look at us and be like, wow, that guy's holy. Like, look at him go. I should be more like him. Or, or, or we, we, we can fake or try and be as humble as possible so that people look to us and say, like, look at that example. That woman is just amazing. Oh, if I could just have half of her humility, that would be fantastic. And inside we're just like, yeah. We could not grumble on our own strength or at least try to. We could strive to look more like Christians by by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, doing some more exercises. We could not worry. We could, you know, face difficult circumstances. I'm not going to worry. 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 Look at the peace in his life. Oh, man, that's just amazing. 
all with the, with the goal of having people look at us. See how good we are. See how good we do things. Look at our family and say, this is awesome. I should be more like him. Paul's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to miss the point. We do that so that we act as signposts to Christ. That when we act humble, it's not so people look to us, but they see Christ and his humility. When we're content in whichever circumstance that we're in, it's not because they're looking at us, it's because they're looking at Christ. That's the goal. The goal is that God would be glorified in everything. And when they look at us, they they just see a signpost to Jesus. That's, That's Paul's reminder to the Philippian church. And he exemplifies it. When he receives this gift, I rejoice in who? The Lord. When he faces difficult circumstances, who is his source? Christ. He's seeking the good of the people in the presence of God. He sees their gift as a sacrifice to God. And he knows that God will supply all things. You see, everything that Paul does is sourced in Christ. His whole mission in life, his whole call to the church is that when people look at him or look at the church, wouldn't see them, but would see Jesus. This is indeed the entire focus of history and it culminates when every tribe, tongue, and nation surround the throne of God and say glory, praise, honor, and power belong to God alone. Is that your orientation towards life, towards Christ, towards what it is that God has called you to? Are you seeking to live your life in such a manner that God is made glorious? Here's an encouragement. Did you notice verse uh, 22? All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul's in prison under a Roman guard waiting to stand before Caesar to be executed for this faith. And yet Caesar's household is greeting the saints. Oh, you see, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. God will supply. The kingdom of God will advance. So whether in plenty or in need, find your strength in Christ. Because in him you have all things and he will supply everything that you need for his glory and your good. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you let this truth sink in first in my heart and then in all of our hearts, God, that that we would find contentment in Christ, that we would rightly orient our lives in such a way because we understand the radical beauty of Jesus. Oh God, would you open our eyes to that truth? Would you open our hands where we are holding so tightly? And God, would would we be signposts to you? People look at us and see you as glorious and good and would they turn to you and trust you, we pray. In all of this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.